conviction. Amen. Come on. Amen. Good to see you this morning. Can you clap your hands one more time for Jesus? And uh, welcome to our church if you're new. We're sort of new, not really new anymore, but kind of sort of. Uh, it's always good to be new together. I met a bunch of new people this morning. Got to shake your hands. We love you and we appreciate you. All right. Uh, this morning, uh, from Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, I'm going to start in about verse 13. We're in a, in a series called People, People, and uh, we're celebrating the work of God in people, testifying to the work of God in, in people. It really is all about people. Jesus came to earth and died on the cross for you and me. We're people. Uh, there's a big picture to everything that we're doing. Jesus' hand is on your life. He wants you to be effective. He wants you to be influential. He wants his favor to rest on everything that you do. He wants you to have confidence when you go into a, a job uh, interview. He wants you to feel strong when you start a new business. He, wa he wants you to feel like he's on your side, behind you, encouraging you in all of your efforts. God is involved in your life every day. There is never a moment, a day, where God is not involved. And, and living for Jesus is a revelation that that we are not in pursuit of him. He is in pursuit of you. He is in pursuit of us. There's always more for us. He always wants to be a little closer. He wants to have a little more time with you. And I think one of the most life-changing revelations you can have is that he is in pursuit of you right now. And, he, and there's a reason for this. He has something for you. I want to talk about it today just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. I kind of like that. That's kind of, yeah. I swear, I swear by myself. You, you can't say that. Don't say that. Husbands, don't say that to your wives. Don't swear by yourself. Um, because uh, he had nothing greater to swear by. He swore by himself and he said, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. This is, this is a, a reference to the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham that he would bless him and that Abraham would be a blessing. Therefore, as the children of Abraham, all of us here are the children of Abraham, under the Abrahamic covenant, God wants to bless you and he wants you to be a blessing. It's both. That's the promise. The promise is that you will be blessed and that he wants you to be a blessing. I will bless you and I will multiply you. And so having uh, patiently waited, Abraham, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath as a confirmation is an end to every dispute. So men swear by the Bible. I swear on the Bible. So help me God. I swear on my, on my mother's grave. You've heard that old phrase. You know, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear to you, I promise. Men have to, men, men have to find someone greater than themselves to swear by to give their word more authority. So that what we say and our promises, so that they, they sound more legitimate, so that they make a little more sense and people will believe us. Believe us. So men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given to confirm the whole thing, and it's the end of the dispute, verse 17. In the same way God, 
desiring even more, even more. And, and that word more in the New Testament is a powerful word. It's a, it's a powerful Greek concept of what God has for his people. Desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise. We talked about the promise. The unchangeableness of his purpose. He interposed with an oath. So he gave an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, which is incredible, amazing, we have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is before us. Now notice verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor to our soul, a hope that is both sure and steadfast. The NIV says secure. Uh, is both sure and steadfast and one which enters behind or within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And this morning, I'm going to speak on the subject of secure people. Secure people. All of us have insecurities. We all have insecurities. And you're afraid I'm going to talk about them right now, and so everyone got really quiet. We all have insecurities in our life. You can't escape it. You can't. And, and our insecurities are, they're all different from person to person because we all struggle in different areas because we were created differently. We were made differently, but we all have insecurities in our life. Those insecurities have an impact on how we're used by God and how we um, influence our families. They influence our marriages, our relationships our leadership, and our ministry. God wants you to be so secure in him that your insecurities are transformed from a weakness into a testimony. Our testimony is simply a, a picture of the weakness that we struggled with, and then when God touches it, it becomes a testimony. But we all have insecurities. We can't escape them. And so the more that you press into God and the more secure you are in God, the more secure you become in yourself. And so we need more God and less of ourselves. More God, more Jesus, less of me. So the theme for the morning might as well have been uh, more of him and less of me. And as a matter of fact, how are you today? Are you doing well? Turn to your neighbor and say it. Less of me and more of him. Let me hear it. Less of me. Now, now say it with conviction. Say it as if you were having a discussion and you were going to put an end to the matter. Man of God, you and your wife are having heated koinonia. You and your wife are having a discussion and she is arguing with you and she's saying, no, more of you, more of you. Less of him. And then you're just going to say, no, more of him and less of me. Say it to each other. More of him, less of me. Wives, don't you wish that your husband would get up in the morning and say, honey, less of me. And all the women shouted a big hallelujah. Oh, that was hurtful. I'm having fun and you're hurting, you're hurting me right now, okay? More of Jesus, less of us. And so our security is simply in the Lord. It is flat out. Our security is in Jesus. And the more secure we become in God, 
the less insecure we, we uh, are in ourselves. Insecurity is defined this way. Insecurity is the uncertainty or anxiety about oneself, a lack of confidence, the state of being open to a danger or a threat. Insecurity is uncertainty or anxiety about ourself or the state of being open to a danger or a threat. Insecurity always stems either from an uncertainty about yourself or feeling threatened by others. It manifests itself in being uncertain about who you are and uncertain about who they are. It's always a who, who am I and who are they? And in the center of that, we struggle with our insecurities. Which brings me to a phrase that I've used for 20, 20 years that I want you to embrace this morning and I want you to say it with me because I believe it with all of my heart. If it really is more of him and less of me, more of Jesus, less of Pastor Doug, more of God and less of our own flesh, if it really, if that's the truth, then we're, what we're saying is that as we become more secure in God, something transformational is gonna happen in our lives. So the phrase is that you have to be who you are supposed to be in God before you can do what you're supposed to do for God. Now, at times, as you stretch out and you're working and you're doing your thing for Jesus, you'll grow. Like, we always have to grow, and I understand that. But you have to be who you're supposed to be before you can do what you're supposed to do. Otherwise, the doing will burn you out, make you bitter. You'll find an offense. Somebody will have an offense with you. Because if all we ever do is work and do and perform and try to be something that we see instead of trying to be something that comes from a person internally, it messes the whole thing up. I have seen some of the most on-fire Christians in my life serve the Lord, impress people, take trips, travel the world, preach to nations, lead people to Jesus, and at the end of the day, their life takes a turn they never expected it was going to take. I've watched teenagers who lead the youth group wake up one day, and they're not even serving God anymore. And what happened to her? Well, I mean, she was, she was on the leadership team, and she took a missions trip. And then two years after high school, she's not even serving the Lord. I've watched pastors and leaders and, and uh, I've watched adults, families, moms and dads, husbands and wives, because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't have that anchor to their soul. I've watched them struggle with the same things over and over again, year after year. Uh, and, and all they had to do was grab the rope to the right anchor and everything would have been okay. So the phrase is, you have to be who you're supposed to be before you can do what you're supposed to do. If you get it backwards, life gets messed up. So say it with me. You have to be who you're supposed to be, and you're not speaking to me this morning. I need you to have a conversation with the pastor, all right? As the church grows, we're not a quiet church. We're a noisy church. And if noisy church bothers you, well, then you're gonna be bothered so I'm going to bother you. I said this a couple years ago, but there are only two examples in Scripture where church was quiet. One was a curse and one was a funeral. We are not the cursed church. We're not the funeral church. We are the amen church, okay? And we are the talking church. 
and um, because that's just the way it is. You have to be who you're supposed to be before you can do what you're supposed to do. Let me hear it. You have to be who you're supposed to be before you can do what you're supposed to do. Very good. You have to be in your heart and in your life that person who understands grace. You have to be anchored by something. Your insecurity then will become an opportunity either for God to work and to have progress in your life. Insecurities either become a place for God to work or for the devil to get a foothold. Insecurities will either be a, a part of your testimony and give, give God an opportunity to get into your heart or it'll be an opportunity for the enemy to get in and get a foothold. Because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, what does the scripture say, looking for someone to devour and it's a picture of this person who was alone. You've all seen the Discovery Channel shows, you know, where the lion or the tiger is going after somebody or something in the, in the middle of the herd, and they don't go after the, the first biggest bull in the herd, you know, the water buffalo bull. They don't go after the, the buck, the man, you know, the alpha male. They're looking for the loner. They're looking for the, for the one. The enemy is looking for the one that is separated from the herd. They have, there's something inherently in that animal that is just not right and they can't keep up. And, and this is what insecurity does. Insecurity gets inside of your heart, your mind, and your spirit, and it causes you to shut down because you are now either afraid of yourself, insecure about yourself, or you feel threatened by somebody else. And so you end up shutting down and you begin to see the world through the lenses of insecurity. And you become ineffective. And the enemy comes in and he starts to work on you. And he tells you things about yourself that are not true. They're not true. You are a great woman of God. You are a great man of God. It's interesting too to me that sometimes when we talk about insecurity, oftentimes that word insecure gets labeled for the ladies. The ladies are insecure. Oh, the men aren't insecure. No, no. No, the men, we were, we were born with a, with a secure gene in our DNA. You could try to make us, you know, insecure, but we will grunt, growl, and bite you and fight back. It's not an insecure. Hey, look, I've got news for you, and all of you know it. Men, in my experience, can actually be more insecure than the women. And the men just handle it differently. The men have a different way. The men might treat somebody differently. I've seen a lot of leaders that are insecure. You know how they solve their insecurity? They treat other people around them as if they're lower than them, as if they're better, they're not as good as them, they're not as smart. Insecure people have to put everybody down because they feel threatened. It either has to do with who, who you are, who you think you are, or a threat from somebody else. When I was a kid, growing up in the Northwest, there's lots of bridges there, people know that. When I was a kid about my son's age, about 10 years old, and, and you can actually see these if you spend time up and down the West Coast. And you've seen them in pictures or movies. But the old railroad bridges. There's so many rivers, so many canyons, there are all these railroad bridges that go back and forth. And as a kid, we did the one thing that we were told not to do. Amen. Come on, somebody. Don't ever, ever play on the railroad bridge. But for some reason, every weekend, that's where we found ourselves. Because there was something about it that was so adventurous, so incredible. The railroad bridges are only, are only about 15 feet wide, 10 feet wide. And there's no rails. 
There's no side. And they were always made out of wood. And wood is scary. Have you ever ridden a roller coaster that's all made out of wood? Like they have one here in Denver. You know, I think the, and they're not even as good as the other roller coasters. But when you get on that thing and it starts going click, 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 and the whole thing starts to shake and you're screaming for God to save you. I mean, have you ever been on one of those things? They're barely moving. You know, your little cart is barely moving. It's nothing. It's not like going to Disney World where they're doing this, you know, upside down. You're all strapped in with like a, a space shuttle, you know, strap. And, and you're not going anywhere. But then you get on one of those wooden roller coasters and you're barely moving. And you are screaming for God to help you. Because it moves, it shakes, it sways. This is actually the way that, that these, these bridges work. We used to take little coins, you know, and put them on the railroad track. Men, how many of you put a coin on a railroad track one time in your life? See, yeah, I even got a yeah going down in the house. Put it out there. And you put the coin on there, but you learned early that if you put the coin on there, you gotta go hide behind a tree. Because if, they hit, if the railroad, if the car hits the coin at the wrong angle, it'll shoot it out at the speed of a bullet and kill you. So we would run out on the middle of the, uh, on the, middle of the railroad bridge, We'd place coins up and down the bridge. And here's the thing about the bridge. It was, there were two mistakes. There was two things that you thought about on that bridge. You thought about, number one, if I get too close to the edge, I'm going to fall. So you're constantly wondering if you're going to make a mistake and if you're going to get too close to the edge and something's going to happen, you're going to fall off and die. And the second thing that you're worried about is it doesn't matter how many pillars that bridge had, you were convinced because it was wood, it was going to break. Like your little 75-pound junior high body is going to break that bridge, right? But you were convinced that when you stood on that thing, it was going to collapse underneath you or you were going to fall off the side. Well, you're having the, the time of your life, you're constantly worried. Of course, you're worried about the train, but that's not the bridge. Some people live their whole life on that bridge, constantly worried that they're gonna stand too close to the edge and make a mistake, or that that thing that's underneath them is gonna collapse and fall. And they live their life through the eyes of insecurity about what they're gonna do, how they're gonna mess up, or that everything below them is just gonna, they're convinced that the world is gonna fall apart below them. And they live in an insecure state. But God, God says in Hebrews that he has an answer for that state. And it's called the anchor to the soul. Now all of us go through different kinds of insecurities. Um, and, and I, I have insecurities in my life, and uh, my wife knows what they are. She's agreed not to post them, you know, post them. But we have insecurities about things, and we're constantly looking for someone to validate our insecurities. And I'm sorry, but Twitter and, and Facebook and the Internet has become, it's an incredible tool, but, but every once in a while I wonder Somebody will post on there, you know, having a great day today, but my husband is a Neanderthal. What, pray for my husband. Or, or the husband on Facebook. 
having an incredible week. Uh, my wife, you just need to uh, throw prayers over the Rockies to help her know how wonderful I am. And here's what people do. We actually live in a, we live in a time when people will get on the internet and they will post their insecurities. We live in a time where you're going to get on the internet and post your insecurities. You know what that is? That's just a sign that you are not anchored and that your insecurity answer is coming from the wrong place because all it does is it just increases your insecurity. When we talk about each other, when we post about each other, we post it. Some people have insecurities about finances. Finances are difficult. And you realize that money is important, but God is essential. God is essential. And there is a, there is a place that we live that is not physical, it is spiritual, because God, is, God has gone there before us, and he's anchored himself there for us. Relationships can be an incredible time of insecurity. Especially, you know, with all the young adults and university people we pastored over the years, we've seen it over and over and over again. And I don't care if it's a, a guy or a girl. I've seen relationships be an insecure place. My wife has preached this to women, uh, young adults all over the world. We, we, our insecurities will drive us to try to get the relationship to work when the relationship uh, thinking the relationship is going to fulfill something in our heart, but it won't. And here's the crux of the issue. If you will do anything, people who are insecure about relationships will do anything to have a relationship because they're insecure. They have an empty hole. They have an empty space. Their anchor is just being drugged across the bottom of the ocean uh, at the will and the mercy of the sea and the wind and the culture. And here's what happens. If you'll do anything to get a relationship, you will have to do anything to keep the relationship. A, a, a person who does anything to get it will have to do anything to keep it because they're going to find out that the relationship was not anchored in anything. It was built on all the wrong stuff. And when that thing begins to unravel, I've seen more mistakes made at the end of a relationship where people are breaking up than I have in the middle of it. We always tell you, it, it, break, the breakup is the most dangerous place. Because two people are reaching out and trying to make sure that, is it, and I love you, I love you. And we've seen more people lose their purity, make mistakes at the breakup. Because if you'll do anything to get it, you'll do anything to keep it. God bless you this morning. Hallelujah. It's good to see you. Leadership. It's an insecure place. Leaders are insecure. As a matter of fact, you know what I think? I think that leaders might, if you put them all in a room together, when I go to a pastor's conference, I look around at a room like this full of pastors, and I say to myself, this is the most insecure group of people I've ever seen. Because they're constantly worried about their, the numbers of people that they draw. And you gotta play the game. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, right? The game, how big is your church? How big is your church? How many people you got? You know, how many people you got? People ask me all the time still, just recently, how many, how many people you got in your church? I just go like this. Whew! I don't even know. <sighs> I don't even count. Whew! And then, then the rumor goes around. 
There's thousands of people in the pro church. And I'm like, in Jesus' name. I answer, I answer in a way that fulfills their insecurity. Because I'm happy. I'm blessed. I'm good. I love you. We're, we have a great church. God's moving. How big is your church? <sighs> I mean, honestly, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I don't, I, I don't even know. And their eyes get big and they go, wow. <laughs> Leaders are so insecure. You're out there and you're you know, your door greeting, you're shaking somebody's hand. This, this, is, this is where it gets real, I'm telling you. You're shaking somebody's hand, you're doing a good job. And then, then Susie Talks A Lot shows up at the door <laughs> with, her, with her people shirt. Because this is you, this is, this is how you roll, this is how you do it. Hi, welcome to the Pearl Church today. Nice to see you. Oh, high fives. High fives, good to see you, bless you. Oh, were you new? God bless you. And Susie Talks A Lot. God made her like a wind-up toy. <laughs> she sees the door and calls it destiny. Where are you headed, destiny? Hello! 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 I love your hair. I don't know you, but man, you are a rock star. Welcome to the Pearl Church. We love you. We love you. Don't we love her? Yeah, we love, we, love, we love you too. Can I get you some coffee? No. Let me run to Starbucks and get you a latte. No, that's okay. I don't need prayer. I want to serve you. That's right, because you're a visitor. A visitor. You know we love visitors. Don't we love visitors? Yeah, we love visitors. Yeah. All of a sudden now, you know, we're, we're just door greeting in the house of God and, and somebody else's personality just moved in on your leadership. And uh, we, we, we get upset over the silliest things. We get so insecure. You know what we should do when it comes to, to the house of God and leaders and people when they serve? Stop being insecure about each other's gifts and start celebrating their gifts. Celebrate. What kind of a world would it be if we celebrated each other's gifts? I'll tell you one thing that would happen. You would be under less pressure. Because if you're not like the door greeting type and Pastor Doug came up to you and said, hey, I need you to door greet, and you're like, shoot. Oh, I knew, I knew you were going to ask me. I knew it. Because I saw you look at me from the coffee over there and I turned my back on you and you obviously didn't care. <laughs> and then Susie Talks A Lot runs in. Hello! Instead of getting insecure, we'd be like, you got this! Oh, you're new? Oh, you need to go see her. (laughs) She's like a whole self-esteem seminar. As you walk through the door, it's crazy. Susie, her name's Susie. 
Could you imagine what would happen, what a church would be like if all we did was celebrate each other? And here's the problem, here's the problem, is that, that in our leadership, because we, want, we feel like God's given us something, and when we feel like someone else is starting to move in on it, we're worried about ourself, and we're worried about the threat. And then what happens is you shut down, and, and, and wonderful people in the house of God who have, who have something to offer, they end up doing nothing. Nothing. They do nothing because their insecurity has trapped them in an alone place. So we, we have to celebrate our, our, our differences and celebrate each other's gifts and not be threatened. And, and uh, you know, we need, to, we need to believe that God placed you in the body. Now, I, I think of my insecurities this way. I have insecurities, and I have to monitor them. And I'm going to get to the verse here as we close. I want to share just three things with you on this verse, but, but I have to monitor these things. And all of you know, everyone right now, think of an insecurity that you have in your life. Now, say it out loud to your neighbor. No. Um, <laughs> think of an insecurity that you have in your life, okay? <laughs> and just hold on to it for a minute, because I'm going to tell you in just, just a second how to how to overcome that or at least transition that into something really healthy. But I've learned in my life to monitor those things. I call them security alerts. Security alerts. Threat security. Because your insecurities threaten your effectiveness for God. Threat. It's like going to the airport. You know you can go to the airport and there's always some lady on a recorded message going, the threat security today is elevated to orange. And you're like, it's always orange. It's always orange. It's not an elevation. It should say, the standard threat security is orange. Attack imminent. <laughs> you know, and here's what we don't know. We always hear yellow and we hear orange. But did you know that there are five colors well, of course, we know what red means, right? <laughs> Run. <laughs> but there's two other colors that we looked up this morning. And you never hear these colors. Can you imagine it, how you would feel if you were walking through the airport like this? You're, you got your bag, you go through security. And by the way, I have major security issues at the airport. And I don't want a rabbit trail, but... <laughs> I, I, have, I have been, I never, ever get through security, ever. Unless I'm with my family and surrounded by all my little kids, and they're charming everybody, and somehow I get through. But if I'm alone, or if I'm with somebody named Asim, <laughs> hey, hey now, and we got no luggage, you know what I'm saying? Okay. I've, the last time I took a trip, I can't tell you all this, but the last time I went, we were, we were going to preach in Australia at a conference where they live. I'm with Asim. We get on the, we, we're getting on the plane. Asim gets on the plane, and six officers arrest me and take me away. I swear to you. I have to tell you the story sometime. They just came on, grabbed me, and walked me off the plane. And I turn around, and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? I look at Asim, and it seems like this. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. He just gets on the plane. I'm yelling, help me. He just gets on the plane. I'll finish the story next week or something, all right. Could you imagine if you're walking through the airport and the lady comes on and she goes, good morning, my name is Susie. Today, today's color is sky blue. Because the other two colors are sky blue and winter green. Did you know that? Blue and green. Today is a blue day. Today is a green day. What would you do in the airport? You'd be like, hallelujah. It's a green, blue, wonderful day. They don't ever tell you when the day is wonderful. Threat assessments for me is knowing that for, for myself, if I'm going to take my threat, insecure, secure threat assessment, those things that I know in my life are going to have an impact on me, I know to get them down to green or even down to blue, there are some things I have to constantly be doing in my life. Three things. And I'm going to give them to you right now. Now, they're going to sound so Christianese. I mean, you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're wanting me to do something so, like, dramatic and impressive with, with a PowerPoint right now. Because my insecurities have haunted me for years, and here comes the answer. And it's going to be, it's going to be, so, I've never heard it before. I know I've never heard it before. You've heard it before. It's three things. Let, let's look at the verse just for a minute. This is what it says in verse uh, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for your soul. An anchor for your soul. An anchor, it doesn't move. And that anchor is Jesus. There's three things that you need to know. Number one, God cannot lie. And because he cannot lie, the first thing that you need to embrace is God's word. So here they are, the word, the way, and the will. God's word. God's word is powerful. It is a two-edged sword, and it protects us. It empowers us for the journey. When we talk about our insecurities, we need to go immediately to the Bible. Because before the enemy destroys you, he will disarm you. If he can disarm you, he can have his way with you. And so we have no relationship with the weapon. You know, I heard, I think it might have been Joyce Myers or, or Beth Moore, uh, at some point they used a phrase called the epidemic of insecurity. And they talked about how when television came in and we saw millions of images in our lifetime, how that brought insecurity into people's lives. But I think the answer is an epidemic in the word, the Bible. This word we have as an anchor. Jesus we have as an anchor. And if you're going to destroy or transition your insecurities into something God can use, you have to read the Bible. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to take 10 seconds. This is what I believe. I believe that when we come to, to church, we need to bring our Bibles with us. And everybody without a Bible just wiggled. Now, no, no condemnation, that's not the point. But the point is, I promise you that if you can change your relationship with this book, 
your insecurities will transition from a point of danger or threat or worried about yourself, if you can have a relationship with this book, you will become like what we want Charlie to be, little Charlie, an arrow in the hand of God that hits the mark. Hitting the mark, hitting the mark, hitting the mark, hitting the mark. God's word. Don't let the enemy disarm you, especially in my next series. In my next series, I promise you that if we don't have our Bibles in church, you will not get what you're gonna wanna get out of the next series. In my next series, I, had, I, I really believe that God spoke to me about what to preach on. Sometimes you, you look at the season, you decide, I don't want to get into all this today, but I'm going to be taking us through a good portion of the Gospel of John in the next series. It's going to start on, on Easter. And I'm going to start with the, with the resurrection of Christ on Easter. And then it's going to be like a movie. You know how you see movies and television shows and they start with a scene and then all of a sudden the words will pop up as the scene changes and it says 24 hours earlier or three days earlier. My, I'm going to do the resurrection and then the next Sunday is going to be three years earlier. And we're going to go back into the Gospel of John and we're going to go verse by verse, word by word, as far as we can get in the Gospel of John until I have to move. And if we don't have our Bibles and we don't have a pen, we don't have an iPad that we can highlight, that we can, we can look at the word and digest it and see it with our eyes, hear it with our ears, and get some tangible, tactile uh, anointing on the word of God. If we don't carry our Bibles, then we're not going to get out of the next series what we're going to get. I'm just throwing it out. Because it's the word that makes you strong. Is it Jesus? Yes, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But it's the word of God. All we have to do is think about what Jesus did when he was being challenged. He used the word. Jesus used the word. We like to use philosophy. The word, number two, the way. The way. The way means to pursue Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except by me. First, the word anchors you. Second, the way. Jesus anchors you. So you pursue him. It's a lifestyle of keeping Jesus at the center of who we are and what we're doing. We always need to be distracted with Jesus. What does Jesus think about my family? What does Jesus think about my parenting? What does Jesus think about my friendships and my relationships? And let's go to Jesus, go to the word, go to Jesus, and let's pursue him. We know he's pursuing us, but let's go after Christ. Let's keep him as the focus, the focus of what we're doing. Man, just, just before we end here, how incredible would it be if all of us together were pursuing Christ individually? And I mean really pursuing him. Praying, reading the word, going after him. I think that our church would come alive with something new and fresh and amazing. And the last one is the will. Jesus said in uh, uh, Luke 22, verse 42, you know the verse, he said this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Have you ever been in a place in life and said, Jesus, yeah, if you want, you can just take this away? Okay, Jesus, if you want, you can just take all the bills away. That'd be awesome. Can you imagine if he just wiped it clean? This is what he says. Jesus said, Father, if you want, you can take this cup from me. But yet, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. In the middle of pursuing God's will, something happens internally 
in our hearts. The word, pursuing our relationship with him and doing his will. And in the middle of that, we realize that we have an anchor, an anchor that sits behind the veil and is the anchor to our soul. An anchor stops you from moving. So when the winds blow, when the current changes, when the storm hits, and your boat is being rocked, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get through it, the Bible says that you have an anchor to the soul that goes behind the veil where Jesus is gone. One more was there to give the greatest sacrifice.